Today on Foodstuffs. Jess learns how food and tech are teaching bikers an old-school way of navigating the city. And then Brian makes a pair of terrifying snacks with a mischievous bud in the gooseberry patch. The reason all, you know every other restaurant under the sun uh, didn't do delivery is it's really just not their, their core expertise. Right. Uh, they're great at making awesome food, but they're not necessarily good at you know, logistics and delivering food to customers. Mm-hmm. It's a hard thing to do. All right, I think this was called uh, Pigs because it's using cubed cooked ham. Right. So we have a ham steak, and if you're ever wondering who buys ham steak, it's... <laughs> Hi, I'm David Albert, uh, Managing Director of Canada for Foodora, and you're listening to Foodstuffs. Welcome to Foodstuffs. A podcast about food and culture. And their intersections. I'm Jessica Walker. And I'm Brian Goman. Recently, Jess, you took a trip to Toronto's King West neighborhood to meet a man who's working to connect independent restaurant owners to an untapped customer base. Is that right? Yep, you bet. Uh, Brian, does the name Hurrier ring a bell with you at all? Mm, sort of. Okay. Yeah. Uh, in the style of a lot of new kind of tech-based startups, the name sounds a like it's almost a word. Um, right. Hurry. <laughs> hurry. Curry. Yes, you're good. Curry-er. So you know, you know. And that's it. Um, so Hurrier is now Foodora, but its purpose is the same. From where I sit, it seems like this is a new service and something we haven't seen before, at least not in an official way um, like we have with Foodora now. I don't want to say any more because David is about to explain how the service works in a little bit more detail. So I feel like I should just let him do that. Okay. So let's have a listen. This is Jess in conversation with David Albert, the managing director of Foodora Canada. Uh, What we do is we offer food delivery for high quality restaurants. Uh, So customers can log into our app or website Uh, see all the different restaurant options that they have. Mm -hmm. Uh, You select the restaurant you want and you can easily make an order. Uh, We then have a a network of couriers who are all independent contractors uh, and they they actually fulfill the orders and and try to get food to customers in 35 minutes. Amazing. And your couriers are, by and large, bicycles over cars, right? Yeah, bikes are definitely in our our DNA, but as we've grown up and had to face the harsh winters, we've also (laughs) had to work cars into the fleet. Right. Um, So what has changed food-wise, tech-wise, that has made room for a service like Foodora in the last number of years? I think there's a couple things that are going on here. Um, the, The first and foremost is really there's kind of a technology shift that's enabling all this stuff to happen. So, you know, you think like two, five, 10, 20 years ago, we, uh, none of us had these smartphones that we were walking around with uh, that uh, now kind of enable us to, you know, one, access the app to be able to order food, but also be able to uh, really easily connect the restaurants with these orders that are coming in and also the couriers. So there's there's the, this technology piece that's uh, actually kind of, enabling us to connect all these facilities exactly um because yeah you're mentioning earlier that these are restaurants that we haven't typically had access to can you just elaborate a little bit further or kind of like nail down who these restaurants are and why they weren't available before or uh if you think about the traditional food delivery businesses uh, you know it was mostly restaurants that you'd kind of 
uh, associate with food delivery. It's you know, Chinese pizza, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the reason all, you know every other restaurant under the sun uh, didn't do delivery is it's really just not their their core expertise. Right. Uh, they're great at making awesome food, but they're not necessarily good at you know, logistics and delivering food to customers. Mm-hmm. It's a hard thing to do. Uh, so we kind of take that all off their plate, and re- we really focus on uh, you know, doing the logistics, and all they have to do is make the food. So we're kind of giving them this really easy tool to be able to access delivery. In a weird way, is it like sharing economy kind of stuff? Yeah, totally. So I, th- I think, t- to your point, another thing that's happening uh, you know, kind of in the last five years is uh, you know, you're seeing these these businesses like us and the Airbnbs of the world really reply, really rely rather on uh, a network of individuals uh, who are looking for kind of extra income, flexible work to to be able to kind of make our business tick. So we mm-hmm. have this big network of independent contractors that are uh, bikers and delivery drivers who are able to actually fulfill on our behalf. So the people that you're hiring out are not necessarily working full-time set hours for Foodora, is that is that what yeah, exactly. I can deduce? So who is your audience? Like who is your customer base? And yeah, how are you growing that audience, I guess? Yeah. So we see our audience as uh, you know, pretty wide mix. Um, you know, everybody who anything from, you know, your grandmother who hardly knows how to use technology <laughs> to uh, you mm-hmm. know somebody totally at the other end of the spectrum where it's like a young kid totally in tune with technology but right. we we kind of have two main buckets of uh, of core users mm-hmm. it's uh, you know kind of young professionals millennials uh, they're working a lot don't have much time interested in healthier cooler options yes uh, so that's kind of the core one and then we also see businesses using the platform quite a bit so I guess we should backtrack for a minute and sure. explain where Foodora came into Toronto do you want to give a Coles notes on how that all broke down <laughs> yeah yeah totally so uh, so we're our parent company is based in Berlin. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fedora actually operates uh, in twelve countries globally, about twenty five cities. Uh, and the way we entered the Canadian market was actually through uh, purchasing uh, Hurrier, uh, which is Canadian born business. Uh, business has been around for about two years. Does the parent company tailor it to each city and and see what makes the most sense for that city? Or is there something, some like basic truth that they know about this sort of business that they're kind of reaching out with or a combination of both, I guess? Yeah, so from a customer's perspective, uh, for the one ordering the food, what we do is is very similar from city to city. Mm-hmm. Uh, the product is feels the exact same. Um, that being said, there are definitely you know unique nuances to each city that we operate in, whether it's uh, you know, restaurant the restaurant margins can be different because food costs are different, uh, or uh, labor laws are different. So the way we access uh, delivery drivers can be different. Okay, cool. Um, but the formula is fairly similar from from city to city, uh, and you know there was I think there kind of both things happened that you were talking about. You know there was a lot that uh, um, you know our friends in Germany knew that we could apply here, and, and vice versa. Like Hurrier had had built up a lot of knowledge that we could kind of deploy in other cities around the world. Mm-hmm. And then. From the restaurant side of things, what are you hearing as far as 
is this a new element to their business? How much of an impact do they see in the service of running a restaurant every night? Is this in addition to, or is this just a new, like, a non-existent table in the restaurant that they're, do you know what I mean? Like they're just creating the food for another table that happens to exist in a home 10 blocks away or something like that. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so as a general rule, we're finding that uh, restaurants are incredibly receptive to what we're doing and there's really a win-win-win happening here where, um, you know, the restaurants are getting more orders, the couriers kind of have access to this flexible work environment where they can make extra money and customers are getting access to restaurants that they didn't, you know, traditionally uh, be able to deliver from. Mm-hmm. Um, the, and then when you think about, you know, mom and pop restaurants, uh, these are, you know, they're very hard businesses to run. It's an incredibly competitive space. The margins are very thin. Yeah. Um, and so anytime they can get incremental revenue, it's very valuable to them because their cost base kind of stays the same. You know, they have the labor there already. They have the fixed costs. Uh, you know, they just have food costs against a delivery order. Mm-hmm. So, uh, any, you know, any extra volume we can give them is great. But what we're finding in, in some instances, uh, you know, as we start to grow up a bit, you know, we're, we can be as big as 5, 10, 20% of a, a restaurant sales. Yeah, that's nuts. Yeah. So they care about us for that reason. <laughs> You've sort of proven yourselves yes. um, as beyond just a novel option. Um, that's very cool. From where you sit, I get to—I assume you get to hear all the stories of what it's like to interface with the restaurants, interface with the public. Yeah, so I mean, we definitely, you know, as you do like thousands, tens of thousands of orders, you, you definitely have some some interesting things that that happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one cool thing that, that we're seeing is people are really ordering food to all different types of locations. Mm-hmm. Uh, so with our technology, you know, you can just kind of drop your pin on a map, deliver food wherever you want. Right. Uh, you know, so, so for example, uh, last month we, uh, you know, we saw, we delivered food to a little league game and a bunch of parents <laughs> just kind of, uh, you know, ordered food while their kids were playing baseball and, you know, maybe it was a way to like do a, an adult thing and yeah. have some fun while their kids are playing baseball. And I'm sure for the parent, it's like, is there any reason they can't deliver to us here? We may as well try. And then for you guys, it's like, we haven't done this before. I've why can't we? You know, <laughs> exactly. it's like eat with each instance. It's like teaching both of you that it's okay or something. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, cool. Trin- Trinity Bellwoods Park, like, is another example. Yeah, we see people often ordering food there. Yeah, um, and does that wind up being straightforward? <laughs> or uh, so I mean. It, it's definitely harder than delivering to an address. Mm-hmm. Delivering to a tree is more challenging. <laughs> if, for anyone who isn't in Toronto, Trinity Bellwoods is in the center of the West End, um, and it's got a reputation for, yeah, just being a gathering space. Perhaps there's public drinking happening. 
contentiously or not, right. um, but that's beside the point here. But um, essentially, it's it's kind of an ongoing joke that it's incredibly difficult to meet up with friends in the middle of Trinity Du Bellwoods, even with technology on our side these days. Um, so I can only imagine as a courier with like the t- clock running down, you're just like, where is this person? I have another order to get to. For sure. um, but that means that you get creative in the ways in which you describe. Yeah. So we, I mean, we we give the courier the customer's phone number so they can easily call them um, but maybe it would be cool one day if there was you know a fedora tree in trinity Bell right or something. it wouldn't well if the need i've is heard there. crazier ideas <laughs> well i look forward to it thank you so much for talking with me david yeah likewise yeah. i appreciate you having me yeah cheers that was Jess speaking with David Albert of Foodora Canada. Wee oui, wee. Oui. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Big thanks to David for having me into their office. But um, and you also spoke to uh, yes. a courier too. So I'm <laughs> James. To hear that. We'll throw that up. Like, will that be an extra stuff? Yeah, let's put okay. that up as an extra stuff. So it's just so a you short get little conversation. A little like insight into, you know, the, the life of a street, biker. right? Yeah, exactly. But yeah, there's some art involved in working with food on a bike in a city that has potholes, et cetera, yeah. et cetera, and traffic and the kind of traffic that a bike encounters that you might not expect. So it's kind of fun. Cool. So we'll listen to that too. But that a very interesting interview with David as well. Yeah. And I always like to hear sort of like the the business side of things too. I know you do. I know. I almost felt like you should be doing this one, Brian, but you let me have it. So that's nice. So I'm interested to to see how they will, because there's a couple of services now, like you mentioned, they sort of bought or they absorbed Hurrier. Yeah. um, But we have now Uber Eats is in Toronto too. That's right. And And just quickly, like I think that, um, if you think of Hurrier coming or and now Foodora coming to this um, from a bike standpoint and now they're adding in this fleet of cars just to kind of cover all their bases. Um, Uber is now doing the exact opposite. They were the car based and now they are getting a fleet of bicycles because I'm assuming it's the traffic mm-hmm. issue, right? Like they're able to weave through traffic a little bit quicker. Um, so that's an interesting kind of parallel. There are... Um, some obvious crossovers and some interesting results already that restaurants are sort of reporting back yeah they're using the service well as david says in there upwards of 20 percent margin increases is insane in an industry that is such a precarious um yeah precarious industry that has such razor thin margins as they say uh yeah you can only imagine and i know anecdotally through people that work at the restaurant with me that um, they have friends who own restaurants and they credit uh, these services with saving them from the brink of having to close because it brought them a new clientele or, you know, I'm not going to go to dinner halfway across the city, but if you're bringing it to my door, right, that suddenly becomes an option, right? So Yeah, and the things that you, it suddenly puts everyone on a very level playing field, yeah. right? If maybe you can't afford the, the storefront or a prime location, right, where a lot of people are going to see you. Well, that's an interesting piece, too. On the web, too, you have, it's, and I think you've said, like, you now go to and have eaten at many different restaurants that you probably never would have yeah. tried because of this yeah. kind of service, right? I, uh, that's, that's true for me. I've tried things that I wouldn't have tried otherwise. Um, and you briefly just mentioned it, like the storefront piece where that can be the expensive part in talking to someone about it. Um, just this morning, they were like, that's interesting because in the future, does that mean that we'll even need a storefront? Like, uh, uh, 
a space that someone could walk into and purchase yeah, something. You may not. Maybe it just removes that need, which is a whole mm-hmm. other level that I haven't fully entertained yet. All right. Next up, we finally meet Brian's bud, Rudy. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Rudy, I've mentioned on him on the show a couple of times. He's been my workout buddy, uh, my uh, ketosis buddy. <laughs> what right? is ketosis again? Ketosis is that, that crazy diet where it's like, you know, eat all the bacon, don't eat any of the bread. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things, right? Yes, I've um, passively been a big fan of Rudy without actually knowing him. And I am so excited today, I have to say. Most people are big fans of Rudy, whether you know him very well or just a little. Because he's, a, you know, he's a lovable guy guy mm-hmm. and he has a really he's very funny <laughs> and he has a very interesting personality where he just becomes super super obsessed with things yeah and I he know gets people. like deep 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 into something <laughs> when he's obsessed with it and it's like he can't let it go until he's one like or conquered it, conquered or something. it in yeah. some way or another so anyway i don't want to explain too much about this but rudy <laughs> has uh become a huge obsessive <laughs> fan of something that's known as the gooseberry patch. Uh, and for more about this, I think we should just turn it <laughs> over to Rudy right now. All right. So and here we have Brian speaking with his bud, Rudy Shahinian, about the gooseberry patch. Uh, well, gooseberry patch is, I guess, a, a, a company that these two middle-aged women started, uh, Vicky and Joanne. They basically produce cookbooks and they have videos online. And their recipes seem to be a combination of them coming up with them as well as user-submitted recipes. And what kind of food is it? It's honestly, it, the food is pretty much what you would expect on this, like on a can of something, like on the side of a can where they have like, a recipe printed, it's supposed to be as easy as possible. It's targeted to, I'm assuming their their audience is targeted to uh, housewives that don't have time to cook. Right. And everything is, is supposed to be, you know, really easy to make and quick and, you know, using packaged and canned foods. <laughs> there was something about the, the, the two women them, in themselves that sort of yeah, intrigued well, you a bit, I guess, right? Yeah, maybe I'll go into how I actually heard sure, about them. Yeah. So I, I bought a Roku uh, a few years ago. And which is a... Which is kind people. of like a media yeah. media device, kind of like an Apple TV. Right. So there's channels and stuff you can download on it. And one of the channels was this Gooseberry Patch, and I thought it was a funny name. And I like watching cooking shows, so I downloaded it. And I started watching it, and my first impressions of it was... This is ridiculous. <laughs> the, 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 I mean, like, like why I, does this exist? Yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. I was like, okay, this is like, I, I wouldn't make any of these recipes myself. This is, this is kind of, it's just not to my taste. Right. But I watched a couple of their recipes and there was something about the dynamic between them that I, I feel like their, their demeanor and how they talk to each other, it, Honestly, it felt to me like they had a massive fight right before right. the episode, for, right before they were filming the episode. They had to and like pull it together. They had to pull it together at the last minute. Yeah, and they were they, professionals. Yeah, exactly. This, this is the last one, <laughs> and, Joanne. <laughs> and they had these uh, these weird little uh, these weird little personality things that would come up, 
And it was just a recurring theme. For example, I think it was uh, Vicky that the double dips after they right. make after they make whatever it is they make in the recipe, Vicky's and she is dipper. yeah, she's a double dipper, and and Joanne, you know, she'll call her, on she'll it? call her on it, and and they'll both just giggle, and it's just a really weird. <laughs> it's like I'm making a joke, but really, stop doing that. Why are you doing that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so that's, that's what Gooseberry Patch is. And, and they have a, I think they have a really huge following. So, yeah, I mean, they're probably up to hundreds of cookbooks. Like, it's crazy how many they have. But the recipes that you find in them, like you say, are like a couple of ingredients, usually like canned food or packaged food that you just sort of dump together and mix together, right? Is this the kind of food that you grew up with? Is this sort of like... Is this part of your attachment to it? No, not at all. Uh, so my parents are immigrants and they're from Iran, but culturally we're Armenian. So the type of food that I grew up with was mostly Iranian until, you know, I started going to school and meeting friends and going to their house for dinner. And for me, my my experience with food is kind of, it's I think it's a little bit unique just because uh, I've had this uh, crossover for, uh, all my life, right? I go to my parents' house and I eat traditional Iranian food, Persian cuisine, and uh, and then you know I go out and have a barbecue after. And there's a, there's this like, for me, it's a when I make my food at home, it's I use you know er, Persian spices, but I make and like fresh herbs and things like that's that. Right. Like yeah, that, that's right. Yeah, that's herbs and things. Like that's that, exactly right? it. So I, I grow my own peppers. I have a garden and I, I grow my own herbs and. So you're pretty far removed from this kind of cooking. So <laughs> I get like why you were sort of, it became sort of a novel thing, but you have, I think, a sort of a, an obsessive nature, I think. And like you become obsessed with things for like a period of time and like master them. Can you tell me like getting into this, like how that obsession grew from just like, oh, this is something funny to watch. Like, where did you take that? <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. I, I, I am a pretty obsessive person. I mean, uh, when I get something in my mind, I really can't let it go until I've, I've explored every possibility right. of that. And when I started watching these ladies, uh, it, it was just it, it was just funny to me. It was just a really funny, funny thing that I was watching. And the more I watched, the more I couldn't stop watching. <laughs> so I started doing research on them. So I started going to their website. I started looking at their recipes. I started going online and reading about them, watching interviews with them. And that's when I got the idea that I was going to produce a recipe for them and try and get into right. their world, yeah. trying to get trying to break into the gooseberry patch yeah <laughs> okay so did you chart out like was there like a plan of attack there's lots of research involved yes yes there was there was quite a bit of research I had to read a lot of recipes so because like like I mentioned I I'm not the their target audience so I don't really right. know how what they expect from their like users who is who is actually into this and cooking this? That's right. Who are submitting these recipes? So yes. the people sort of getting your head around those people, I guess, right? Right, exactly. So So what do you do? You're reading the stories that are in the books and right? I'm building a profile. So I okay, realize yeah. I realize that, you know, they, 
they use a lot of canned stuff. They yeah. use a lot of uh, not very exotic ingredients. They use stuff right. that you can find very readily and very easily. And there is a story that goes along with it. And the story is warm and heartfelt, but kind of generic and a little, you know, not, not a lot of substance there. It's just a little, little anecdote. And, and they use a lot of cheese. <laughs> so, so you get like an idea of who So that you get an idea. Is, right? Exactly. You get an idea. You put yourself in that position. So you're not, this isn't like you weren't, you, with all the research you did, it's not like you were in the kitchen trying to prepare the most tasty, most gooseberry patch thing. It was basically no. it was just all on paper. That's right? right. I've never made any of the recipes actually. <laughs> Until today. <laughs> Until today. Today we made Rudy's two recipes. We'll, we're going to fast forward a little bit. I want to get to... Can you read this, this story that's, that's published there? Yeah. So What's it called? Sulin's? Sulin's Tex-Mex Rolls. My daughter Coco had a dear Korean friend, Sulin, who came up with this recipe while we were having Mexican night at our house. These Asian-Mexican fusion rolls were a huge hit. We've been making them ever since. And I get that story is generic, but like I can see a little Rudy in there. Like just the fact that you called it Mexican night, <laughs> like not like taco night or something like that. Like, right. yeah, exactly. So that, that's what I tried to do is with uh, with these recipes. I tried to, you know, not just make it their regular run of the mill right. recipe, but just trying to add a little thing that stands out. And <laughs> so you got through. And Sulin's Tex-Mex Rolls appears in, in what book, Rudy? Uh, this one's Christmas Comfort Classics on page 109. Nothing says Christmas. <laughs> like Sulin's Tex-Mex Rolls. And the other book you got into was what? It was Fun Fall Foods. And, and what, and uh, tell me the, read me the story and the, the, the title of that one. And this one is called Pigs in a Straw House. This old-fashioned breakfast casserole is sure to satisfy a hungry family. It's great for dinner, too. The sweet name was inspired by the Three Little Pigs story and makes it fun for kids. <laughs> I want to get to, like, that, that sense of humor that's like, you put a lot of time into this. And you were successful. Like, you successfully got into the cookbook. You put all this time into it. Why? Why, like, is this... Just purely for your own enjoyment? I think it's because I'm actually a big fan of them now. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm a I think I'm such a big fan that I'm trying to fit into their their culture so so badly. Even though you don't actually fit, you want to fit. I wanna fit so badly. You wanna be in the past. I wanna be there. I wanna be there so much. <laughs> but this is like a common thing for you of sort of you have two interests that I I know of. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, two that really stand out. One is food. Yes. The other one is, I would call it like, sort of like shit disturbing, basically. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good way to like put it. It's non-malicious <laughs> shit disturbing, basically, is... Yeah, that's that's a very good way. To, you're right. A lot of my <laughs> interests revolve around that. <laughs> and you're not afraid to put a lot of time 
into this? Yeah, it's into, important. Why? why? <laughs> it's important to me. You got to shake things up. You got to, you got to, you got to find the humor in the everyday things. And I think it's hilarious. <laughs> I do it for my own satisfaction, honestly. I think it's hilarious. I think to mess with people a little bit, not maliciously, like you said, but just enough that they kind of question what the hell's going on. <laughs> I think it's funny. Thanks again, buddy. <laughs> yeah. That was Brian talking with his friend Rudy Shahinian, professional jokester, trickster. <laughs> um, I just have, I pulled this up while we were listening to that. I, I think we have to have a listen. Have you ever made ice cream from snow? If the snowflakes are falling and you're ready for a little fun, give this recipe a try. When it starts to snow, just place a large, clean bowl outside to collect the flakes. <laughs> when your bowl is full, stir in sugar and vanilla to taste. A lot of sugar and vanilla happening. Stir in just enough milk for the desired consistency. Everything is up to you. Serve right away. In a martini glass. You can find a link to this recipe posted below this video. <laughs> Be sure to let us know if you try the recipe. Like, just really, really earnest. It's crazy. Well, it's but it's so hard to, to tell the line between earnest and taking the piss. Yeah. Right? It's because like, And that's what Rudy does so well is, like, he takes the piss in the way where it's, like, you really don't know. Yeah. You don't know. Yeah, for them, they have to meet him where he, where he is. And okay. Sulin and Bokokulin. <laughs> it's too much. Like a little too much. It's so strange. The whole thing, like their whole branding reminds me of the early 90s, like toll paint and yeah, like gingham and the the whole like country aesthetic in general, mm -hmm. you know? And this is like They're I'm brought shocked to the 21st century. I am right? sh shocked that But to understand they not only do they have a YouTube channel <laughs> That's what they I'm also saying. Have I'm shocked that they're on the a internet. Roku app. So it's like, so you would have to have like custom designed. Do you think it's their kid? App? Like who like, is the piece? Somebody did this. Yeah. It, and and, it, was and it was have, not them. It was not them. I'm putting money on that anyway. And graphics Please that again prove me look wrong. like not from the 80s or 90s at least, right? Like They, they look, look hand drawn, <laughs> which is lovely. Like that. I think that's the whole thing. It's just like it. the brand is predictable like and solid you know what i yeah. mean like it's just it is like your grandma and your ma used to make or whatever they say it's so thorough and like predictably i don't what is the word it's earnest it's mm -hmm. super earnest mm -hmm. it's like martha stewart but like cable without tv without any creativity yeah yeah without any creativity at all because that's the whole thing this is all user submitted right yeah when you told me that this is what we were going to talk about today, it reminded me of this article that I read earlier this month from Slate. Right, yeah. Yeah. About all recipes. Yeah, exactly. So if you are what you eat, America is all recipes. If you're not familiar with all recipes, it's a website where, again, user submitted and aggregated. Um, and when you put in an ingredient or like you're looking for a certain type of recipe, it's the most popular rise to the They're top. They're like super CEO people, like uh, SEO people, I should say. What's SEO? SEO search engine optimization. Oh, sorry. So of like course. they are optimized for Google. So if you write in 
best chili rep- recipe, they're going to come up right. for sure. If you yeah. write in best lasagna recipe, which I think is mentioned uh, in that article, yeah. that comes up. And they're thinking like, again, these are mostly user submitted or I think all user submitted um, recipes that they just write up in their standardized way. Yeah. And they have all kinds of reviews on it. The whole point is that these all recipe recipes are quick and easy using processed ingredients, mm-hmm. using, you know, grated cheese and <laughs> a American pan of cheese, this, right? right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and very much like the gooseberry patch, really. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. I wasn't wrong yeah. in that front. It's no, so... I, I think it's, it's very, very apt. Funny. The only thing is gooseberry patch is, I think, even simpler. Right. Like, even simpler. Like <laughs> a lot of these recipes, like I, I saw something like cranberry juice that they made where it's like, Boil cranberries. Now add sugar. Now add a, a frozen orange juice. That's it. <laughs> like it's it's a couple of things that are already done. There's almost no cooking involved. Yeah, that's gooseberry patch. But our recipes is just that level above. But really, and Larry McGill, our our farmer friend uh, who we had earlier on the season, he that's talked right. about this too. Yeah, that. People will talk the talk. Yeah, because the say, uh, sorry, the other piece of this all recipes yes. article is the fact that like if we want to purport that we are all getting our recipes off Epicurious and Bon Appetit yes. and like all these fancy things, and that America is foodie culture at this point, don't fool yourself. And so I think this relates to what you're talking about with Larry, yeah. which is basically that you, people talk the talk, but follow them around in the grocery store, watch what they make at home. Mm-hmm. What they're making is, you know... Out of the freezer out or... Of, out of the freezer or into the microwave or like a one, two, three casserole that's like... <laughs> yeah, like by the... Here's the canned pasta sauce, buy the well, dried like noodles. The and one they mentioned was like cheese. a broccoli casserole that was like... That, honestly. Broccoli and condensed... And uh, a can of mushroom soup and whatever. Yes. It's like, you know, and honestly, that's how people cooked for a long time that's the thing started to come in right you say that and my friend ryan's family has a version that uses you know mushroom soup like we all have our thing and it's our cheat and it is very comforting they're not wrong and that's the thing is you're you've ate it for so long when you have it it tastes good Mm -hmm. or it tastes passable yeah which is just as good at this point right i know it's like hey that was I was able to feed my uh, family of four or five in a with, cheap way with like five ingredients. It took me like with pigs five in minutes. a straw house. <laughs> pigs in a straw house. Okay, so that's another episode of Foodstuffs. I just want to quickly mention, um, following up on the conversation I had with Sam Lee last week about coffee uh, with my roommate, Madeline, she mentioned that her and a number of other f- fellow female baristas were planning kind of a, a talk a night in Toronto. So if you're listening to this in the first couple of days of us uh, uploading it, make sure to stop by Dark Horse on Spadina at 215 Spadina on Thursday night, that's tomorrow night, June the second. June second, sorry, at seven p.m. If you're around, it'll be great. I don't quite know what to expect, and that makes me excited. Um, she promised pizza, which also makes me excited. <laughs> uh, maybe I'll bring some pigs in a straw house. Oh come on, just go bring Sue Lin's Tex-Mex rolls. Come right, on. there's an extra four left or so. 
just don't let that, that should go be to enough waste. for a crowd yeah well that sounds uh, like fun are you, are you gonna go yeah that's okay, the plan good. anyway cool so come hang out yeah this week yes exactly um so for thanks I want to say thanks to David Albert from Foodora and their courier, James, that um, was kind enough to take time off the road to speak with me. Um, Keep an eye out for an extra foodstuffs, or an extra stuffs, excuse me, coming soon. Quick thanks also to Erica Kasupanen and Adrian Simic for setting everything up. Uh, My thanks this week go to my friend Rudy Shanian and also... Fine ladies at the Gooseberry Patch, Vicky and Joanne. We love you, Vicky and Joanne. Big thanks to the Ken Stower and Mr. Eric Betlam from CIUT. And thanks to you for listening. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Foodstuffs Life or by searching Foodstuffs on Facebook. And we're also on the web at foodstuffs.life. You can download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or any other podcast app. And you can always stream us on SoundCloud. I'm Brian Gilman. And I'm Jessica Walker. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back in two weeks. See you then. Bye.